0: We turn now to our Scripture for this first Sunday in Lent. It comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. And this is the story of the temptation of Jesus. I invite you to listen for God's Word for you. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing in all, at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Well, then the devil led him up and showed him, And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, as we gather here this morning, we do so to receive what it is you have to give us. To hear your word. So quiet within us any voice but your own, that we may hear your word and be doers as well. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, it seems to me that uh, these Christian festivals that we celebrate come in a variety of shapes and sizes, but I don't know... If I can remember an occasion where the first Sunday in Lent was also Valentine's Day. I hope you didn't give up chocolate. (laughs) I can remember Valentine's Day from my grade school days where we'd have to write everybody in the class a Valentine's Day card so nobody would get their feelings hurt now i grew up in the midwest and i was part of that sort of stoic lutheran environment i didn't even know i had feelings till i was (laughs) fifteen and i've learned something about valentine's day from those early days it is a minefield fraught with danger i figure if i can get through valentine's day without disappointing somebody i have won. Now I can remember on one occasion with my wife Lynn, I learned a very important lesson. Don't give gifts to your Valentine's that you want for yourself. (laughs) It was a big mistake, but I didn't know that. I really hadn't learned about self-differentiation. I gave her once an athletic bag (laughs) for Valentine's Day. Now that was wrong on so many levels. I don't know how she ever became my wife, and I think she's still wondering too. Valentine's Day is a day where we remember St. Valentine, a martyr who was persecuted under the Roman Empire. And according to the legend, St. Valentine of Rome was imprisoned. He apparently, uh, against orders, was performing marriage ceremonies for soldiers who were prevented from marrying by their commanding officers because it would make them less dutiful in their their soldiering. So he was uh, imprisoned, but he healed the daughter of his jailer, and then he wrote her a note, and he signed it, Your Valentine, as a farewell. And thus it began. It wasn't until the 14th century, however, when Geoffrey Chaucer Picked up this idea of romantic love in a poem that he wrote. It was in honor of the anniversary of the engagement of King Richard II of England to Anne of Bohemia. And for centuries since, lovers have expressed their love on Valentine's Day through cards and flowers and chocolates and other confectionaries. So, what does love and Lent have to do with one another? Well, possibly this. It seems to me the key to both is a willingness to embrace sacrifice. Perhaps the greatest temptation we face is to try and find an easier way, a less demanding way to live and to love than the one Christ calls us to. The temptation of Christ is usually the text for this first Sunday in Lent. So what temptation are you struggling with this morning? Well, I have some good news from the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament. He, he writes this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's clear, according to Hebrews, that the temptation of Jesus was not only for His own sake, but it was for our sake. And the good news is that he passed the test. Jesus was tried and found to be true. And he can help us with whatever temptation we struggle with, whatever it is that is taking life from us. Now it seems to me we're all tempted with at least two different narratives for our lives. One narrative is filled with promise and possibility, You are a child of God. You are gifted in a unique way, and you can make a huge contribution in life. The other narrative tends in one of two directions. We either think too highly of ourselves, we get into trouble that way, or in the opposite direction, we think too little of ourselves. We think we are unworthy and we are unlovable. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the uh, television program on Netflix entitled The House of Cards. It takes place in D.C. It's about government, a crisis of government, and it's a crisis of those who govern. In this election year, perhaps we're a little bit more aware of the crisis of government and those who govern. And the show begins with these storm clouds that gather and darkness is falling over the city. And the storyline is that there's a bunch of people who think too highly of themselves and their power. And therefore they make all sorts of compromises in life. Because at least for them, the end justifies the means. This congressman that's played by Kevin Spacey has Fortified his position politically against his enemies, but he's left himself completely vulnerable to where the real assault comes from his own compromise with evil. Some of us, like those in the House of Cards, think too highly of ourselves. Some of us are tempted to keep score who has the most Facebook friends, who follows our Twitter leads, or who has more LinkedIn connections. We're always evaluating whether our influence in life is expanding or contracting. Leave things in God's hands, not on your life. However, life begins to cave in on itself, falls into depravity pretty quickly, when we seek our own advancement alone. On the other hand, some of us trade the narrative of a great life that God has prepared for us filled with possibilities for one that takes no risks and attempts nothing significant because we think so little of ourselves. We play it safe, but it has a way of eroding our lives from within. We grow complacent, maybe a little bored, with life. And like the steward in the parable of the talents who received the smallest amount, we run off and we bury what little we think we have. We begin to think it's all about protecting ourselves. We may make some sacrifices in life for our children and our grandchildren, but love is really only for those in the inner circle. The rest of humanity... Well, they're a threat. We should guard ourselves against them and protect ourselves from those who would do harm. So we build up walls around ourselves intending to keep others out. But the reality is they imprison us within. It's a world that's motivated by fear, not faith. It's a Good Friday kind of world where the power of darkness and fear predominate. Where people become participants in their own demise. They sabotage their own lives by their clutching and their grasping for something to secure their existence. And Eventually, people become bitter and resentful of others those especially who have less to lose in life because they live with this sort of great freedom and reckless abandon. The temptation is we find excuses for our lives rather than finding the courage to confront the challenge of living. So let me go all the way back to that first temptation in the Garden of Eden where the tempter creates this wedge between Adam and Eve's understanding of the boundaries that God has established for their well-being. Now here is the power of suggestion at work. Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman replied, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You see, the temptation here is to broaden the limitation and then decide how unfair this prohibition is that we can't eat any fruit of any tree. And the man and the woman cave to the temptation because they're suggestible. Jesus, by contrast in the text in Luke, is not even suggestible. He is what Paul calls the new Adam. A man who is living within the constraints that God has established, living in the world on God's terms. And so the assault begins in the wilderness. Sure, sure you're the Son of God, the chosen one, the beloved, the only begotten Son. We establish that in your baptism. But what does that really mean? Doesn't it mean you should take things into your own hands? Shouldn't you make a name for yourself? Isn't that what God intends? What better way to get people to do what God wants them to than to use your power? First, Jesus is tempted to use His power to satisfy His own appetite. Turn from the path of service to the path of selfishness. Satisfy your temporary needs. What is it that you really hunger for right now in this moment? But see, the problem is when we seek to meet our hungers, it never satisfies. Any addict will tell you that. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia describes this as Turkish delight the more you eat the more you want until you eat so much you make yourself sick Now I like this saying and you've heard me say it before if you've got two dogs in a fight a good dog and a bad dog which one do you think is going to win the fight it's the one you feed that's the one that'll win When we talk about temptation, we have to talk about what it is that we're feeding in our lives. The truth is, we become co-conspirators in our own downfall. We think we can find some simpler way of achievement. Why work for 40 years to become successful? Let's just take a chance on the lotto. Why should we labor in the Garden of Eden when we can have the knowledge of good and evil and be like God ourselves? Why can't we enjoy intimacy with more than one person instead of keeping our commitments to be faithful in our relationships? Well, thank God, Jesus was not suggestible. He knew He couldn't achieve the goal before Him without sacrifice as enticing as that may have seemed to him there was no simpler way ministry was not about being spectacular or creating some spectacle so that people would be amazed discipleship required delayed gratification hard work confidence in God's unfolding plan even and especially when the costs are mounting and our hungers are deeply felt. Temptation's a part of life. No one is immune at any age. Temptation is present whenever there is some choice to be made. And it's not only between good and evil, it's those choices between a higher good and a lesser good. To seek our personal success at the expense of everything else. Or to seek a worthy goal by an unworthy means. To lower our ideals. To win some momentary influence or favor. You see, it's tempting to misuse our gifts and our power. And as we all know, people don't just compromise their principles all at once it begins with small compromises in our behavior that seem innocent enough but they lead to bigger compromises so here's the thing to succeed temptation requires our consent so avoid it at the very beginning when temptation comes knocking just lock the door and close it don't be suggestible instead choose the narrative that God has created you and chosen you and you can trust in him it will give you freedom to reject those enticing alternatives and it will allow you to be persistent in your resistance We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and we may find grace to help in the time of need. Our Lord is tried and true. Let Him strengthen you. And you too can resist temptation and choose the best alternative. It will mean sacrifice, but it leads to life. Thanks be to God. Amen.